you would please stand. <clears throat> if you can find your Bible or turn in the bulletin, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. In the Pew Bible, it's on page 961. You can also find it, as I say, in the bulletin. Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one <clears throat> untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sovereign Father, we pray you'd send your spirit powerfully upon us, that you'd open our ears and hearts and give us grace, Lord, that we might hear your word, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Have a seat, please. And do keep your Bibles open to uh, 1 Corinthians 15 in the Pew Bible or in the bulletin. Uh, on your smartphone or wherever you're looking, have it open. Because I want to make sure you understand that what I'm preaching to you is not something I've cooked up, but it's actually uh, a message from long ago to you and me here today. Uh, I want to repeat what's already been said a couple times. Happy Easter. We continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, of course, every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. But during the Easter season, every year, we take several weeks to reflect on the significance of the resurrection of Christ for us, what it means to us that Jesus has been raised for us. Uh, so if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you'll notice the ESV editors have very helpfully labeled it the resurrection of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we start this short Easter season series. We're going to see that the resurrection uh, significance for us begins with the resurrection of Christ. It's significant to us because it happened to him. And uh, so we want to start by continuing to reflect on, on what happened at that empty tomb long ago. If you look at the cover of the program, you'll see a picture of the empty tomb with a light coming out from with, within the, the tomb, uh, reminding us of exactly what the gospel writers told us about. We're going to be reflecting on the significance of that uh, today. I want to let you know that I'm going to have three headings as we make our way through this passage. An important reminder, an important message, 
And finally, an important belief. First, an important reminder. Look at how Paul begins in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Uh, Paul is going to begin this section by reminding them of something. He's going to be reminding them of the gospel. You'll notice here that the word gospel is not capitalized um, in the English translation we have here. That's because uh, capital G gospel refers to one of the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. If you talk about the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, or Luke, or John, you may capitalize the G. Because in that case, it's referring to a particular kind of literature. But here... Paul doesn't capitalize the word because he's not referring to a form of literature that describes the gospel or that tells the historical context of the gospel. He's actually talking about the gospel itself. And the gospel itself in the word uh, gospel in English is not usually uh, capitalized. So when he says gospel here, he's, he's not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, although they bear witness to the gospel. They give an account of the gospel, but what he's actually describing is the essence of the gospel itself. What is it that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are concerned to teach us? Well, it turns out that's what Paul is also concerned to teach us. And it turns out it's something he wants to remind us of. If, like me, you've been coming to church for a little while, it's very, very helpful to be reminded again and again and again and again of the gospel. We never outgrow the gospel. We always come back to the gospel. We're constantly called back to the truth of the gospel and on the basis of the gospel to go forward. Uh, The candidates for church office and I just had a uh, meeting this morning from 9 to 10 as we've been doing every Sunday morning. Really excited about these men. Uh, You've chosen some excellent candidates for church office And we're well into our study as we've been thinking about leadership in the church. And one of the things we talked about today was the importance of what we're doing right now. The importance of the gathering of God's people. Why do we do this every Sunday? Is it just a habit? Well, I think for some of us it can become a little bit of a habit. But actually what we're doing here today is extremely important. I think actually its importance has been underscored by what we have lived through as a culture the last couple of years with COVID. Uh, When I walked in the back door, the first person I saw sitting at the very back, uh, Barbara Moore is sitting there. And Barbara said, even though she doesn't feel super well, she doesn't want to miss this gathering. She doesn't want to miss the chance to be here with God's people. Because this is, well, I guess you could call it a a covenant renewal opportunity. Uh, Every time we gather in this room as God's people, uh, we do it to share fellowship. We do it to offer praise and worship to the Lord. But the reason it's so important for us is because it renews us. It gives us strength to go another week in our walk with Christ. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's reminding them of something. You and I need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be challenged again and again and again by the gospel. There will always be a first time, 
But there will also be many other times where we are challenged by the gospel. There will be a time when we respond uh, in one way and we hope and pray there will be a time when we respond in another way, a way of faith and trust, belief. So this is an important reminder Paul is giving to the church in Corinth. The church that he loves but that has some issues, as every church does, he wants to bring them this reminder. He wants to remind them of something they already know that they need to be reminded of. It's a covenant renewal. It's an opportunity to do that. And that's what we'll do every, every single time we gather in this room for a time of corporate worship. One of our purposes, a central purpose that brings us together is this reminder of the truth of the gospel. I was challenged uh, not too long ago uh, to make sure that every time we gather, we include the realization that there are people sitting here in this room who've never said yes to the gospel. Well, at the end of the sermon this morning, I want to just remind you that Easter is a great time to say yes to the gospel. We'll think more about that in just a moment. But Paul wants to bring this reminder, and it's a reminder not only to the church in Corinth, but because it's been written down for us as the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write it down, so it's a reminder to you and me too. It's a reminder to you and me as well, and it's an important reminder. Uh, Paul says it's a reminder of that gospel which he had preached, which they had received, in which they stand, and by which you are being saved. It's an interesting way of thinking of the gospel. It's something that he had preached to them. It was something that they had received. These are things that, in in the case of the majority of the people in Corinth, these were in the past. He had preached it to them. They had received it. But he says also that they were standing in it then. It was something that mattered to them right then. The significance of what he's going to say had ongoing significance. It was an ongoing reality. And then he says that they were being saved. It's, it's a progress. It's, a, it's something that, uh, an unfolding process. Not that our salvation's not certain, but that our salvation is something God is doing in us. It's secured by the cross. It's secured by the resurrection of Jesus. But you and I are in the process of being saved as God draws us more and more to himself. And Paul sees himself as doing that. Paul sees himself as presenting this reminder in hopes and the expectation that they will be reminded and that they will grow in their saving belief in Christ. And brothers and sisters, I stand here before you this morning. That's very much my hope. That the same gospel that you heard preached and that you responded to by receiving, that that same gospel will give you strength to stand today and that that same gospel will be working in your life, drawing you deeper and deeper in your relationship with Christ. And that was, that was Paul's hope for the church in Corinth. They had a, a great need for it, as we all do. And so he gives them this reminder. It's a reminder of an important message. Look what he says in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He's going to give them, remind them of this message of great importance. First importance. First importance. It was something that he himself had once received. 
It had been delivered to him and he received it and now he is delivering again to them something of great importance, first importance. And notice what he reminds them. This message is four different aspects. First of all, he delivered to uh, the church in Corinth of first importance what I also received. He says, number one, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. The, the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross in accordance with the Bible, Paul sees as of first importance, and he literally begins there. The Christian life is anchored in that conviction, that belief, that confidence, that trust that Jesus did something for us. And it, it fulfills the scriptures. It was in accordance with the scriptures. He actually died for us and specifically for our sins. He, he, took, his, he took upon himself our sins. That's of first importance. He, he says also... Uh, verse uh, 5, sorry, verse uh, 4, that uh, he was buried. That's the second part of this message, that, that Jesus was, that he was buried. And what, what does that speak of? It's interesting. It shows up in the creeds as well, a, a specific comment that the Christ who was crucified was buried. Well, that, that is speaking of, of the truth that Jesus really died didn't just appear to die he really died he was buried his body was buried there were witnesses to all that he was buried uh, thirdly he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures uh, like us the christians in corinth lived life in light of the resurrection of jesus the, the crucified jesus who was buried is the the raised jesus we talked last Sunday about how important it is that the crucified Christ is the raised Christ. And because he was raised, there is proof, evidence, conclusive proof that the sacrifice of Christ, the death of Christ, has been accepted by the Father. And the resurrection is the seal of approval that this sacrifice accomplished what it was intended to accomplish. So Paul says it's of first importance that this Christ who died for our sins, who was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then verse 5, that he appeared. That he appeared. What is being described here did not happen off in a corner somewhere where no one could see it. It didn't happen in, a, in an isolated place where no one could attest to it. Sometimes we're told that faith is like that, that there's no evidence. Well, uh, Paul wanted the Corinthian Christians to know, and Paul wants you and me to know, because he wrote it down in this book, that there were, in fact, witnesses. It says here in verse uh, 5 that the resurrected Christ appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. He appeared to the twelve. We know about Jesus appearing to Thomas, for instance, the famous account in the Gospel of John where the resurrected Christ appeared to Thomas and the other, other of the twelve. Then it says in verse 6, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And he notes this, most of, him, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. See, the point is, yes, some have died, 
But there are actually now still alive in Jerusalem and elsewhere witnesses to this resurrected Christ. Paul is the very opposite of asking us to believe something that doesn't have evidence. Paul is actually saying, here is the evidence. 500 people, many of whom are still alive, you can go and ask them. There were witnesses to the resurrected Christ. Those at the tomb and those who saw him publicly as the resurrected Christ made himself known. We're not told exactly all the details of how each of these things happened, but we're told they happened. There is evidence. It says in verse 7, he appeared to James, his brother. You know, Jesus' brothers did not follow him initially. Uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, followed uh, Jesus, but James's brother, the James referred to here and earlier in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, James, Jesus's brother, did not initially follow Christ. We're not told the details of how the resurrected Christ appeared to James, but, but Paul records the words that Jesus appeared to his own brother and, and to all the apostles he appeared to them. So there, there's this long list of witnesses a long list of witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. And finally in verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, appeared also to me. Uh, we know the story of the resurrected Christ appearing uh, to Paul on the road to Damascus. This weekend, uh, Leslie and uh, Grace and Brian and their kids and I went down to a beautiful retreat center down in uh, South Texas in the hill country called Mo Ranch. It's one of our favorite little getaway places. A long drive, but well worth it. We drove down there, and in the courtyard of this beautiful uh, retreat center is a statue. And uh, one of my delights is my grandkids have, have learned what that is a statue of. It is a statue of the resurrected Christ who's not shown, but uh, the resurrected Christ appearing to St. Paul. And we know the story is, as Paul made his way to Damascus, the resurrected Christ appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? And um, Jesus says, it is I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Paul pulls this bit out of his own biography to say, I too am a witness to the resurrected Christ. So Paul wants the church in Corinth and wants you and me to know this reality of the, the ongoing witness, the message of these witnesses who with one voice speak to the resurrection. There were those who saw Jesus before his ascension. They're recorded here for us. There were those who saw Jesus after his ascension. But Paul underscores in this message that he's reminding the church of the reality, the central truth, this great gospel message that Jesus Christ, whom we worship today, has been raised from the dead. And so, Metrocrest, we join our voices with the saints across the ages and around the world in saying, Alleluia, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, Alleluia. That is the proclamation, the message, that which we deliver today, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says that is of first importance. I want to remind you of that. 
I want to bring you back in covenant renewal to remind you that Jesus died for you. He was buried for you. He has been raised for you. We can have hope and confidence, great joy because of what Jesus Christ has done. Uh, Paul makes it very plain that he saw himself, as he says in verse 9, as the least of the apostles. He says, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul dips into his biography not to give the high point, but to give the low point. Literally, the, the lowest point in his life when he persecuted those who put their belief, their trust, their hope in Jesus. He literally held the cloaks of those who stoned St. Stephen to death. And so here Paul, as he gives this important message, includes this confession that among the sins Jesus died for was his dark sin of murder, and hatred of those who sought to follow Jesus Christ. So here his biography helps form his theology. He knew personally what it was to be forgiven. So he counts himself the very least of the apostles. I don't think Paul was simply being showy in his use of language. I think uh, Paul, who didn't really have a self-esteem issue, that wasn't what was going on. What he's saying here is he was deeply aware of his failure. And he was aware, verse 10, that there is grace bigger than his failure. He says, the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. See, this important message is not only that Jesus has died for us, has been raised for us, but that Jesus is saving us. He is bringing us to himself. And our hope and our confidence is not in ourselves. That would be vanity indeed. If it was up to me, if it was, if it was something I, I was trying to grit my teeth and do, on my best day, on my best day, I would know how inadequate I am. Jesus put his hope and his confidence not in himself. Paul put his confidence in Christ and his grace. I've been talking this week about how aware we are of shortcomings and failures. Our elders and deacons met yesterday afternoon, as I mentioned, out in the lobby, just out in that room right there. You'll pass through it on your way out. And let me tell you, as we went around that table, every single man confessed struggles, a sense of inadequacy, a sense of shortcoming, a deep awareness of not living up to what we want to be and what we want to do. We all share that feeling. If we went around this room, we'd all say something similar. We're aware of our failures, our inadequacies. Well, Paul was aware, deeply aware of his deep, deep, profound failure. And yet he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am, 
and his grace toward me was not in vain. That's a message to cling to. That's an Easter message to cling to. That's a resurrection message to cling to. The same Jesus that died for us, the same Jesus that has been raised from the dead, that same Jesus by grace hangs on to the likes of you and me and gives us hope and gives us joy. And we need to remind each other of that again and again and again and again that our hope is in Christ Jesus and Him crucified and Him raised. And we'll be thinking about that this Easter. We'll we'll go on to look at what the significance of Christ's resurrection and what happened to His body, the significance for me and my body and you and your body, and we'll think about why it matters. Turns out the message of this chapter is it matters profoundly. But it all starts with this gospel message of what Jesus has done. That's where Paul finds hope. And he tells the Corinthians, that's where you should find hope. Find hope in Christ. There were those who were belittling Paul. There were those who put down his preaching. Part of the subtext of 1 Corinthians and part of what Paul is explicitly addressing is there were those who looked down on him. He, he just wasn't, he wasn't impressive enough. <laughs> He wasn't impressive enough. And and there were those who said, well, see how unimpressive Paul is. Paul said, hold on a minute. What I am, I am. What God's made me, God has made me. But his grace is not in vain. He said to the Corinthians, listen to me. Hear me. Be reminded of what I preached to you. What you believed. Remember. So he has an an important reminder. He has an important message. Finally, he has an important belief to tell us about. You know, it's an an interesting word, belief. Belief, an important belief. Look how he concludes this section, verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, meaning any of all the other witnesses to the resurrection, all the other preachers who proclaim the gospel, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Talks about it back up in um, verse 2. The faith by which you are being saved, the word if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, believing in the word, believing in this gospel promise, believing in this gospel message. Uh, In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he is calling on them to remind them of this belief, to to get them to to come back to what they know to be true. Uh, There's so many distractions in the church in Corinth. There are so many impressive teachers. Come here, come here, come here, do this, do that. Long lists, great theological argumentation. And again and again, Paul said, come to the cross. Come to the resurrection of Jesus. Come to these important, basic truths and put your faith, your belief in those things which I preach to you, which you receive. There is your hope. There is your confidence. Well, I said it a minute ago. I'll say it again. Easter would be a wonderful time for you to say yes to Jesus. 
The second Sunday of Easter 2022 would be a wonderful time for you to say yes to the gospel. I don't know your heart. You do, the Lord does. Wouldn't this be a wonderful day to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe these, these witnesses. I believe the word. Doesn't mean you can answer every question, I promise you. That's part of the way he's working in us. He's, he's changing us. He's conforming us. He's opening his word to us. Doesn't mean you have every answer that you'd like to have. It just means, I believe you. I want to trust you. It's as simple as that. I believe you, Lord. I'm glad Paul puts it like that. You don't have to have a theological degree. (laughs) You don't have to have a huge intellect. It's a simple yes to the gospel. Now, it doesn't end there. There's a whole lifetime of growth and maturity. There's a whole lifetime of engaging with God's word. It's having everything in us rewired and reprogrammed. It's God doing deep work in our hearts. But over and over again, he will call us back to this. Jesus was crucified for us. Jesus has been raised for us. He'll pull us back by the Holy Spirit again and again and again and again. Back to that central truth. And from there, from there, we grow, we're transformed. And the interesting thing about growth in Christ is ourselves become smaller and smaller and smaller. And Jesus gets bigger and bigger and bigger. His grace, his mercy, that's where we put our hope. That's where we put our confidence. Well, happy Easter 2022. We'll be thinking about these things all this season. Over the next several weeks, we'll be thinking through exactly the significance of what Christ has done, what his resurrection means. It's of first importance.